few weeks, we have been jumping into our September sermon series, and we've been looking at some of those wild and crazy things that Jesus has to say to us. Some of those things that, that as we're reading or as we're listening make us stop, do a little bit of a double take and go, did he really just say that? Is that really what he meant? And so we started looking at this first kind of message from Jesus. Jesus, the one who is continually preaching love and grace, had something to say about hate. And he said to us, if you are not prepared to hate your mother, your father, your siblings, your spouse, well, then you cannot be my disciple. And as we dove into that, we, we considered what is the cost of discipleship? What is Jesus calling us to let go of, to sacrifice in order to follow him more closely. And last week we heard a, a parable from Jesus, not one of those happily ever after parables that we're so comfortable with, but, but a parable about a master and a servant and about how the servant is called to just do what they're told and not expect any thanks or praise in return. And we heard Jesus saying to us that as disciples, we have to just do it. Right? Just step out in faith. Follow on this journey, on this path of a disciple. Not because it's going to get anything for us. Not that we're going to get any praise or thanks for it. But because it's what God is calling us to do. So as we've been looking at some of these wild and crazy things that Jesus has to say, we've, we've discovered that they're not just outrageous stories for outrageous stories' sake, right? They're not just sound bites to get our attention or to shock us, but that Jesus really wants to teach us through these wild and crazy statements. He wants to show us what it is to truly be a disciple. And when we think about it in that way, of course what Jesus is saying is wild and crazy. Because being a disciple... Being a follower of Jesus, when looked at by the world's standards, is a little bit wild and crazy. After all, to be a disciple of Jesus is to say that I am following a teacher and a servant, not a king. To be a follower of Jesus is to say, I am following a man who ate with sinners and tax collectors, not the rich and the famous. To be a disciple of Jesus is to say, I am following a man who served by giving and not taking. Who welcomed the children, who washed feet, who healed the sick and the lame and the blind. To be a disciple of Jesus is to say, I am following a man who triumphed, not through war or power, but who triumphed through death on a cross. So yeah, I think being a disciple is a little wild and crazy. It, it may cause others to look at us and to pause and wonder, did they really just say that? Did they really just do that? Huh. Yeah, these wild and crazy things Jesus says through his wild and crazy disciples. So this morning we're looking at another one. 
Another way that Jesus calls us to be set apart. Another outrageous thing that Jesus says we need to do that makes us different, but that makes us his disciple. We're turning to the book of Matthew, the the fifth chapter, and we're looking in that great Sermon on the Mount. We talked about the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount a few weeks ago, but now we're turning a little bit later in that sermon to hear just what Jesus has to say. What do we need to do to be his disciples? And see it up on the screens with me. Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. So are you ready? All together, say what? (laughs) Really, Jesus? Turn the other cheek. Give my coat and my cloak. Walk the extra mile. Don't refuse anyone who asks something of me. I mean, you've said some wild and crazy things already, but this? This is what you want me to do? This is part of my call to be a disciple? Do you want me to get hurt? (laughs) Are you asking me to suffer? Are you asking me to just be this passive lump going through life? I mean, forget being a disciple. It sounds like Jesus wants us to be a doormat. (laughs) What do you want from us, Jesus? Then we keep reading. And Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who are against you. Yeah, I think I see where he's, where he's going with this. He gives us this, this list of responses, right? To turn the other cheek, to give our coat and our cloak, to, to go the extra mile, to give to all those who ask. He gives us this, this list, not as kind of a prescription for if you find yourself in this situation, this is what you are to do. But instead, it's all leading up to this bigger teaching, right? 
to love your enemies and pray for those who are against you. Right? Jesus wants us to respond. He wants us to respond when we are slapped on the cheek or when we are taken advantage of or when people want more and more and more from us. He wants us to respond, but he's saying, don't respond in the way that you think you should, in the way that, that you've learned that you should. Right? You've heard it said to do this, but now I have something different to say. He says, respond. Respond to those evildoers, but not with retaliation, not with revenge, and not just by passively letting it happen, but to respond in and with love. And this is, this is so much harder than what they've heard it said, right? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, well, that's easy. I know how to do that. Kids learn how to do that at an early age, right? I don't know how many times I hear crying from upstairs. What happened? She hit me. Well, why did she hit you? Well, he hit me first. <laughs> right? And we just go back and forth and back and forth, and it never ends. But now Jesus is calling his disciples to do something different, to respond in a different way, to respond in love. Instead of this tit-for-tat kind of living, Jesus wants us to break the cycle. We're called to, to replace, do unto others as they have done to you. Replace that with, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Instead of trying to, to extinguish the oppressor, we're called to do what we can to extinguish oppression in all its forms. And Jesus says the way to do that is in love. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite theologians, he says that this kind of love that Jesus is talking about, this kind of love is not in an emotional sense of the word, but this kind of love is in the sense of Willing the good for the other person. Willing their good. Jesus isn't looking for some big hug fest, right? For us to fawn all over each other and dance around singing kumbaya, right? It's good. Hugging is good. That's good. You can hug your friends, yes. But, right, that's not what Jesus is looking for out of this. No, this call to love is about seeing our enemies as, as humans, to see them as created in the image of God just like we are. It's about trying to see their hurts and their pains and then praying and working for their good. I mean, that sounds great. <laughs> And like a lot of what Jesus says, it sounds great, but to actually begin that work, well, that's not 
so easy. How are we supposed to love those who are impossible to love? Not going to call anybody out, but I know you've got that person in your head right now. You see them, you see their face, you hear their name, that person that is impossible to love. Jesus, how am I supposed to love them? How am I supposed to work for their good when they definitely don't have my good in mind? Those who have tried to hurt us, those who have tried to harm us, those who want to take away all that we have. What does it look like for me to love them. There's a great children's book. It's called The Christmas Menorah. Has anybody read it? No? Well, okay, one person. Okay. Christmas Menorah. Well, you may want to add this to your collection, right? The Christmas Menorah. And it tells the, the true story of the happenings of Billings, Montana in 1993. Early in the year of 1993, for some reason, a bunch of white supremacist groups started moving to Billings, Montana. And once they got there, they started distributing literature across town against Jews, against African Americans, against any minority. Well, the police chief got together with the, the leader of the kind of association of churches. They had an association that brought together all denominations, and there was a, the leader appointed, and they got together, and they said, we have to do something about this. We have to respond. Now, at first, the citizens of the town wanted to just kind of sweep it under, under the rug. They said, if we respond, then it's just going to make it worse. Let's just ignore it, and maybe it'll go away. But the the police chief and, and, and this leader of faith said, no, we have to do something. And so they, they started hosting these teach-ins where they invited people to come and to learn about the, the dangers of, of hate crimes and what can happen when, when things like this start to billow in a town. And although attendance was sparse at first, it began to, grew, to grow and people became more engaged and, and started to see what it meant to respond to these acts of hate in their town. And although the, the police chief and, and some of the church leaders started getting threatening phone calls, they didn't stop. They kept on going. And for a while, things seemed to calm down. But then as the holiday season approached and, and Hanukkah came about, Two homes where menorahs were present in the windows were vandalized. Uh, a rock was even thrown through the window of one home that, where the menorah was, and it was actually in the young son's room. And the rock landed on the bed, and had he been in the bed, it could have caused some great harm. He wasn't in the bed, thank goodness. But, but it caused this resurgence. And the people of Billings said, what are we going to do? How do we respond? Do we go after them? Do we find where they are? Throw rocks in their homes? Threaten them? Intimidate their children? 
Well, the leaders got together and they decided, no, that's not how we want to respond. That's not what, the ways we are called to respond. Instead, they encouraged everyone, no matter what their faith was, to put a menorah in their window, in their home. The newspaper, the Billings Gazette, even printed a a full-color picture of a menorah that families could cut out and put on their windows. And pretty soon, thousands of homes, Jewish, Christian, non-believers, menorahs in place. The police, yes, the police worked to to apprehend the offenders, to find justice. But the greatest response that the town could have done was to band together and to say, we will not be defined by this. We will respond, not passively, not ignoring it, but neither will we come after you and attack you. Rather, we will respond in a new way in a way that says, we love and we care. This is who we are. One of the pastors, Reverend Torney, as he was reflecting upon it, he explained what happened this way. He said, it's almost embarrassing It's not the Garden of Eden here. We have huge problems, but people are trying. I mean, I believe this could happen in any community. This town is a little smaller, the air is a little cleaner, but this is every place. It's not unique here. If it is, then we're in big trouble. I think what happened with this whole menorah thing is that permission was given for people to be good. People are are often told that, but in this case, we gave them a way to do it. Gave people permission to be good and then a way to do it. We said we are going to respond, and this is how. We're going to turn the other cheek and show the world that we are not defined by this hate, but we are defined by our love that brings us together. I think these words from Jesus, this call from Jesus to his disciples, it's it's about restraint, and it's about courage. It's about not responding with our emotions, but responding with our hearts. That we respond in love. It's about giving without expecting anything in return. It's about flipping conventional wisdom on its head. And it's even, even as Jesus says, it's about striving for perfection. Not where everything is just so, but but that perfection and love where everything we do and everything we say and everything we believe is formed first out of love for God and love for neighbor. Perfection and love. Letting love guide us and lead us. 
having permission to love, and then acting on that. And after all, the goal of discipleship, the goal of who we are as disciples is to imitate God, right? To follow in his footsteps. And that is a tall order. It's something that we can't do on our own, and so we rely on God and on the Holy Spirit to help move us through that process. And there may be times, there may be times when when we just don't feel like we can turn the other cheek. There may be times when we feel like we have given too much and we can't give our coat and our cloak. Times when we are too tired to walk that extra mile. And so Jesus tells us, in those times, in those moments, this is where you begin as you love your enemies. He says you pray. He says you pray for them. Because in prayer, we're not just giving some laundry list of wants and desires to God, but in prayer, we are conversing with God. And in that conversation, we seek to align our hearts with the heart of God. And so Jesus says, this is the path I want you to take. This is the way I want you to live. It is wild and crazy by the world's standards, but this is how I want you to live. And to get started on that road, you need to pray. And so we're going to do that here this morning. To pray. To think about those people that we had in our heads earlier, those that are so hard to love. Those who have harmed us. Those who we believe don't have our best interests in mind. Whether it's a, a personal, individual enemy or, or one that is more collective for our community or for our world. God calls us to respond in love and how we do that starts with prayer. So let's take a moment and pray together. Oh God, as we bow our heads this morning, we hear your words calling out to us. To change our mindset from from an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to, to let that go to stop the cycle, to seek to end not the life of the oppressor, but to end oppression. God, that is hard work. It's something that we see people like Nelson Mandela being able to do, or Martin Luther King Jr. being able to do, but not us, God, how can we? And yet you call us to it still. 
So this morning, we seek to take the first step. The first step on this part of our journey as a disciple to love our enemies and to pray for those who are against us. We may only be able to, to say their name. We may not be even able to, to pray any good for them, but let us begin now to pray. And through it, may our heart come closer to yours and that you will give us the strength and the courage to respond in love. God, we pray that you would transform our hearts. That we might be the wild and crazy disciples you call us to be. The ones who are ready and able to respond in all situations out of love for you and love for one another. All this we pray in Christ's name.